I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 64. I uh, wanted to say thanks to everybody for your patience. I know that this episode will be coming out uh, three weeks after the last one instead of the regular two. Uh, that is due to uh, my going down to Comic-Con. And I wanted to say, by the way, speaking of Comic-Con, uh, I met a number of, uh, of listeners there, both of Battleship Pretension and More Than One Lesson. Uh, Battleship Pretension listeners, I was expecting. More Than One Lessoner, uh, more than one, oh, that's right, I gotta go back saying listeners. More Than One Lesson listeners, uh, I was not expecting, and uh, several of them turned up, and uh, that was very nice. So it was nice to meet all of you. Uh, we will uh, move on now, but actually, we, I'm sorry, there's someone else here, as there always is, and I always forget them, and I know you do too. Uh, it's my co-host, Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Hi, everybody. It's Josh. I want you to forget that I'm here. I'm right here. I know that I, I know that I was saying to Tyler already, I know that at the meetup, you, you guys are all like, we came for Josh, but he's not here. Yeah. So I'm really sorry to all of you. I, I know. Even the BP listeners were like, I'm a big fan of Josh as a blogger. Yeah. They so just were like, where is that guy? And they were like, we brought our copies of For the Title. We were hoping he would sign them. I brought my copy of, of Wesley. Yeah. <laughs> I say me. I brought my copy of you Wesley did, for you, you to did. sign. I, I know I could get you to sign at any time. I just but don't. But for some I, reason, I... I don't sign things, I've decided. I, I could just, see that. You know. I could see that. Going the, the Tom Wilson approach. Yeah. Well, it's the more, show, it's, Tom Wilson. It's more because I can't write. That's true. Yeah. Both uh, like practically and as far as content. You just cannot no, write. No, neither really. I dictate most of my blog posts. I could see that. Yeah. To a ten-year-old who can both read and write, I know it's really it's really something. You know, it's that homeschool thing. Uh, Josh was homeschooled, and uh, right. they said that reading and writing was you know from the devil. That was from the devil, right. and by devil, of course, they mean Democrats. And uh, you know, <laughs> Start Democrats. With the same letter, you figure it yeah. out. Yeah, but uh, okay. So, Josh, thanks for being here as always. It's fun. Uh, I enjoy making fun of you. Someday you'll get tired of it, and then you'll uh, there'll be a coup, and you'll run, you'll overtake oh, me. And I'll still be on the show, but I'll be your co-host yeah. slash sidekick. I'll just and I'll have a button where I can turn your mic on and off, and I'll oh, be like, man. so Tyler, what do you think about uh, you know Citizen Kane? I hate it a lot, and then you'll be like, wait, what is that? And I'll, I'll cut you off right there. I'm like, oh, nothing to say, I guess. Guess we've determined it. It's the worst movie ever. <laughs> you right. say stuff that you don't actually believe, just to spite me. <laughs> exactly. What do you think, some other guy that Tyler hates, who's now on the show? You bring Bill Maher on. You really change the direction of the <laughs> it's, show. It's me and Bill Maher <laughs> doing a Christian movie podcast. That would be fantastic. And that's the thing. He's surprisingly on board with it. Yeah. He's. So, okay. Uh, before we get going uh, on this week's episode, in which we'll be dis- discussing uh, Paul Haggis's crash. Uh, so this episode will be going up a few days after um, the, uh, the tragedy in uh, Colorado, in Aurora. 
Um, it's uh, stuff like this. It it kind of it gets me, and not merely because I uh, know people who live in Aurora. My brother lives in uh, that area, um, but it just you know when you find out little part, little uh, details about like the victims and that sort of thing. Um, the like the thing that sent me over because I, like everybody else, you hear this kind of thing and you think, oh, that's tragic. In my in my case, you think that's tragic. Was it anybody I knew? It wasn't. Okay, well. That's good for me, but it's still terrible. And then you move on with your life. Uh, but then, I, I don't like doing that. I don't like moving on. I want to at least find out a little bit about the victims. And there was one guy who, it was his 27th birthday. And there's just a little, I don't know what it is. That put me over because I, I could somewhat imagine what that must have been. The, the idea of like, hey, it's my birthday. Let's go see Dark Knight Rise. Let's see the midnight screening of Dark Knight Rises. I'll I'll uh, I'll ring in my twenty seventh year. Uh, doing with with this this movie that I really wanted to see and uh, and I guess because maybe it was movie related and and by all accounts like everybody I know was really anticipating this movie. Like it's just I can imagine I can imagine the scene a lot more. Uh, than other tragedies. Not to say that other tragedies don't mean as much, but for some reason, this one, it just, I don't know, it just really uh, broke my heart. And and for some reason, that that guy's, it being his birthday, just kind of, it just got me. And so um, I didn't want to say any profound statements because everybody is. Um, But what I will say is, in moments like this, it is very instinctive to ask, you know, where was God? Uh, why did God allow this to happen? Why does and then it gets broader, and you think, why does God allow any of this to happen? Why did He allow World War II and the Holocaust? Why does He allow? Why did He allow Columbine? You know, or hurricanes or whatever. Um, and the answer is, I don't know. Um, there is no easy answer. Uh, it's not a ter- it's not a bad question to ask. It's not wrong to ask. Um, it's I would for those of you that are Christian um, or just inclined towards a belief in God, feel free to pray about it and ask God why did you do this? Um, you know, like there's no rule that says it's going to make sense. Um, but I did want to read this, uh, and what's more is if you if you read the Bible, it never it never says that everything's going to be great all the time, whether you believe in God or not. And I don't mean to say that as an admonishment. It's like, hey, man, Bible never said it was going to be great because that's an insensitive thing to say. What I mean to say is that, like, as I've said before, the the Bible does, it knows what life is. It knows what it is to be human and how awful that can be. Um, and so, but it also does promise us uh, better things in the future. And so... I just wanted to read a quick Bible verse, and then we will move on. This is Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. I do not often read out of Revelation because there's so much uh, unusual imagery, and as far as things being up for interpretation, Revelation is uh, pretty high up there. Uh, But it's worth noting that Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and there are 21 chapters in that book, and this is... uh, There are 22 chapters in that book, and this is chapter 21. So this is towards the end of the last book of the Bible. So it's worth noting. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for for the old order of things has passed away. And, you know, when you watch interviews, you see a lot of tears and death, mourning, crying, and pain. And I don't mean to say, hey, God will make it all better. He will, but that's not to diminish people's grieving now and their or their questions or anything like that but there is a promise that the stuff that breaks our hearts today will not last forever and uh i just wanted to uh talk about that for a moment so all right so we'll move on to the much lighter topic of racism <laughs> uh with uh a with a discussion of paul haggis's 2005 film crash now all right, there's going to be a little. There's going to be an, sort of an interesting episode. It's not often that we come down pretty hard on a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, often I will like something, and then you might not might not like it as much. Uh, every once in a while, you'll get an Avatar episode, <laughs> which I, I'm convinced if I didn't have a co-host, if I did have a co-host, it probably wouldn't have had that tone. I, I'm, we might have temper. I might have tempered you a little bit, but no maybe. Promises. But you're not a huge fan of Avatar. No, either. I'm not. So, um, but yeah, uh, I'd probably just sit back. I'd be like the emperor in star Wars. I'd just be like, good, good. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. You would, uh, use that, like Tyler. I can feel your anger. Um, okay. <laughs> so for those that don't know, and, uh, I've been going back and forth a lot about, uh, plot summaries, uh, on the show. Uh, and I've, and I got an email from a loyal listener who's all, who's always very encouraging, and I, I appreciate his feedback a lot, saying that uh, <laughs> saying that he really he likes the the plot summaries, uh, but then he also later on in the email said that his girlfriend doesn't like them. And I'm like, okay, well now I'm torn again, so I don't know what to do. <laughs> so I think I probably will keep the plot summaries, but they probably won't be in any great detail. Yeah, we can we can boil them down yeah the the thing i worry is that sometimes we'll we'll talk about basic plot details and then later on we'll say the scene where and yeah. if you haven't seen it, then you're totally lost as to maybe how that yeah. fits into the movie but again we can't go through every single detail or right it'd just be like it'd be like that friend you have that wants to tell you the whole plot of a movie that he just saw and you're like man just let me i'll just watch it like, yeah i don't need a i don't need a play-by-play and I think what I think what I'll uh, what we'll try and do is if there is and and this was, this episode will be a good example actually because there are scenes in Crash that I found very effective, but you do need to know their context. But I'm yeah. not going to go into the into detail about the whole film. But in order to talk about that scene, I will give you a little bit of the background and the context uh, so that you're not confused. So the weird thing is, both the movies uh, today, neither of them are plot driven. So we're kind of okay here, but uh, but anyway. So, for those that don't know, Crash was written and directed by Paul Haggis. Uh, he co-wrote it with uh, Bobby Moresco. It was the the little movie that could that year. It was independently mm-hmm. produced, and it did very well at the box office. There was a big word of mouth. Uh, I remember that I was working at a blockbuster at the time that it came out. And I went and saw the movie, and I, I liked it a lot at the time. And and then a lot of my customers were talking about it uh, at Blockbuster, and they say, when is that coming out on DVD? 
And I said, like, I, I don't know. It just came out in theaters. They're like, okay, all right. Because, like, they were, they were already asking about it. Hmm. And then when it did come out, we had a whole wall of them. And they, 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 got all, they were all rented out in the first day. It is a film that found an audience. And, uh, and what's interesting, by the way, um, and this is something I'll note now, and then we'll, I'll bring it up again later, is that the blockbuster where I worked was in Chicago and I mentioned this because we will be t- discussing a number of racial things uh, in this episode but uh, the customer base at that blockbuster was very much uh, African American and so um, there are a lot of people that have said that Crash addresses uh, the issues of race from the point of view of a white guy and it's made to make white people feel better or whatever but you know it certainly found it certainly found a home at that blockbuster. People loved it. And so, you know, anybody who has that criticism of the film, hmm. you can still have that criticism and, and have it like in an abstract way. But from a practical standpoint, I can say I got no complaints from the customers saying this guy doesn't know what it's what it's like. You know, this guy is is I could tell this was a white guy making a movie or any, making hmm. this movie. So nothing like that. But anyway. Uh, so the movie independently financed, uh, big hit with audiences and then unexpectedly by many people, including me, by the way, uh, it won a few Academy Awards. People were surprised at all the nominations that it received. It was nominated for picture director, screenplay, song, editing, and supporting actor for Matt Dillon. So it was nominated for all of those. And I think people expected best editing because it is a large cast it's a, an ensemble cast and right, right. movies like that tend to be nominated and often tend to win editing you look at a movie like uh traffic um right. That's traffic a similar thing yeah very similar a lot and of so, interweaving storylines right a lot of different characters yeah and like a, i think they call a multi-plot i think that's is that what it is okay that's a term for that type of movie but yeah, and so uh, so I think if anything, that's the one people were expecting. To a lesser extent, they were expecting original screenplay. Um, there were there are more deserving films, but people were predicting that because screenplay is often what you give to a movie that you're not going to give anything else to. That's often the one that that indie movies will get. Like a popular indie movie will get the uh, Eternal the Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, Juno, Little Miss Sunshine, yeah. like. They'll always throw original screenplay or sometimes adapted screenplay sideways. Mm. Uh, the Descendants. Yeah. Descendants isn't necessarily independent, but it has a sort of an independent mentality, I think. Andrew Payne movie. And so uh, so I think some people were like, well, this, this movie did well, but we're not going to give it best picture or anything like that. We'll give it editing and maybe screenplay. Uh, and, then, and sure enough, they did. It won editing and screenplay that year. And then up walks, I believe, Jack Nicholson. Uh, to present Best Picture. Everybody expected it to be Brokeback Mountain. It had yeah. won, uh, I think, score, cinematography, and director, director. for Ang Lee. Uh, and everybody expected Brokeback Mountain. And then Jack Nicholson says, Crash. And as people are walking up, Jack Nicholson goes, Whoa. He <laughs> says, Whoa. <laughs> like, that's, it's, a really, it's a notable moment because he clearly wasn't expecting it and very few other people were. Yeah. Uh, and so, and I'll say this, in my opinion, crash is a, it's fine. 
I loved it when I saw it, but it's, but I loved American Beauty when I saw that. Yeah. And just as you get older and all that, and you see other movies that might explore the same material, uh, you're like, eh, maybe this isn't the best thing. And you see faults with it. But when you see the faults, you also see the things that you like come forward. And there are things that I like about Crash. Yeah. Um, and I think that I think most people would say, "Oh, that's a that's a fine movie." And then, of course, you get what, the minute you give something Best Picture, it comes under such intense scrutiny that yeah. people, you you when you put that label on something, a, a film that's maybe perfectly fine becomes absolute trash. <laughs> because of course yeah. you're going to be it's going to be compared to other Best Pictures, right? Which becomes, uh, it's not even just that; it's it's that it's the best picture for that year. Also, right? Like just it it enters this kind of community of of movies that uh, are held to a very high standard. And so, mm-hmm. while I I feel like there might be some unfairness towards films like that 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 people that a lot of people feel like they, it doesn't deserve best picture. At the same time, uh, it it does deserve to to uh, it is ha- it is held to a higher standard, and so no, absolutely. So I think in as far as as far as whether or not it's a good movie, um, I think there are a lot of things that I'm oh, I'm fine with it. When I when I saw it, I actually saw it on on DVD, mm. and I thought, oh, this this movie's fine, it's enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, there's some cool parts, um, but I wouldn't have said best picture right so when that happened then i was like all right well yeah slow down but i and i think what what often happens and you get it with slumdog millionaire you got it with the hurt locker you get it with american beauty you get it with uh, almost any movie every once in a while a movie will win and people like yeah all right yeah yeah i could see that um what one what one last year artist the artist yeah Uh, and you know what even that had some people being like it doesn't deserve but everyone else is like hey that's fine yeah. That's a, that's a, it's an achievement. I think I think No Country for Old Men was probably one of that's those one. two. A lot of people were like yeah. that that is deserving. Like yeah. we're okay with that. And I'm in the minority when I think that The Departed did not deserve to win Best Picture, but most people were on board with that winning. I I wasn't on. I'm and, with you on that one. And so uh, it's still a fine movie. It but is that, exactly that's the same thing. But yeah, and, and that one even is a different thing because the same way that we hold pictures to a higher movies to a higher standard. Because they've won Best Picture, I hold movies to a higher standard when I know they're made by an artist like Martin Scorsese, who yeah. he has made some fantastic movies. So when I watch like Raging Bull and Taxi Driver, and then I watch The Departed, The Departed seems kind of like eh, there's still a vibrance to it, and there's still right. style to it. But it's you just can like, see that oh, it's man. directed by a, a master, but at the same time, it's like it, it doesn't have the same effect as some of the other films yeah. that he's done. Um, the reason that we're talking about this is because the film has, I think, if you want to say. You know, you can talk all day about how it doesn't deserve Best Picture, and I will be right there with you. But I think there are people who, the fi- like, for some reason, that people could say, "Oh, this is a C plus B minus film," and then the minute you say, "Oh, one Best Picture," they're like, "Are you kidding? That's a D. That's a D minus film." And it's just like, <laughs> "Well, the film hasn't changed. Yeah, your perception of it has changed, and the film has not gotten worse. It is being held up to a higher standard now." And it doesn't meet that standard, but there are people who said it was perfectly fine that now say it's trash because of the prestige that comes with with Best Picture and that sort of thing. And I'm not sure. Maybe that's maybe that's fair. Maybe it's not fair. I think it's I think it's not fair. But you know, mm-hmm. that's me. 
part of me wonders if the film had come out later in the year, if it would have been more out of the running. Because I feel like it, it came out in the in the summer, didn't it? It came out in the spring, I believe. In the spring. So it was out on DVD by the summer. Yeah. So by the time Oscar season rolled around, if it was getting a, a serious... Uh, serious consideration for for an Oscar. I wonder if there were some people who weren't able to accurately put it aside, the ones that were out in theaters at the same time, and just remembered like, oh, I saw that and I liked it a lot, or yeah. thought, oh, great, and it's an opportunity for a quote-unquote indie movie to, to get something big. And yeah. I wonder if people just kind of like let it get farther than it would have had it been, say, an October release and been playing at the same time as... Uh, you know, Brokeback Mountain or yeah. uh, Capote or Capote. Good Night and Good Luck or right. Munich, especially. Um, yeah, and uh, and also in looking at the trivia for the film, and this is where I get a little frustrated. Uh, the studio spent, I think, two million dollars, which I think was a little, only slightly less. Uh, I think the film was made for like five or ten million. I don't remember, but the studio spent like two million purely on the Oscar publicity campaign. <laughs> and often it's unfortunate, but often like the more money a studio has to really pump into something, the more likely it will be that that thing gets yeah. serious consideration. Which studio was it? I don't actually remember. I do not recall. Is that Lionsgate? Could be. Which I think so. so. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a huge, it's not often that a Lionsgate movie yeah. gets a, um, I think I think a, a larger studio purchased the film, but I, I don't recall. Maybe. But uh, anyway, but we haven't talked much about the movie. We've talked mostly about uh, you know certain attitudes about it. Uh, so now we can talk about the film itself. Um, so it is not unlike Magnolia or Shortcuts or Nashville. Uh, it's an ensemble cast. It's multi-plot, and it's a bunch of people who live in Los An- who are living in Los Angeles. It takes place over the course of a couple of days, and these people interact with each other. One could say they crash into each other. <laughs> like the Dave Matthews song. Exactly. I heard it was based on that. Yeah, I could see that. It's Is an it inspirational true? song. It's inspired, <laughs> it's inspired me to start both podcasts. Yeah. So, we hide it. We hide it pretty well. <laughs> but it's there if you look for it. Um, and so... So these people interact with each other, uh, and there are all these loose connections and uh, coincidences and that sort of thing. Uh, but one of the major themes, I mean, it's not even a ma- I guess you could call it a theme if it's overtly stated. Yeah. It's almost, when it's, when something is overtly stated over and over again, part of me feels like that's less, it's a theme, but at that point it's almost just as much plot as it is theme. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's theme is something you have to kind of grope around for, whereas uh, plot is just here's what it is. Yeah, it's almost as if the uh, the theme is is a central thing, and the movie is just kind of a voice of the theme. Yeah. Well, and then in this case it, that that is certainly the yeah that's certainly the case. But, uh, but yeah, and so the big theme of the film is racism and dealing with. Uh, I mean, racism, I guess, technically, but more race in general. Yeah, it's it's racial, racial stereotypes, um, uh, racial tensions. Yeah, uh, and I I think, I think it is kind of specific to L.A. as well. I'd say so. Um, there's a lot of, especially having lived here now. It's like I didn't know any Persian shopkeepers when I lived in uh, in Durham, but yeah. There's there's a much bigger Persian community in in Los Angeles, 
Um, and so I feel like it kind of focuses on a lot of uh, ethnicities that are in Los Angeles. In yeah. And it's, and I mean, it has to take place in a city. Yeah. Um, because yes, when I lived in Springfield, Missouri, there was not a lot of, uh, a lot of different uh, races, but when I lived in Chicago, but it's, but very much when I lived in, when I live in Los Angeles, now that I live here, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just a lot of people who are here for whatever reason, because mm-hmm. it is it is a city that draws people in. Yeah, um, from all different kinds of backgrounds. And it's, it for those who don't live in Los Angeles, it a lot of people who live here are kind of surprised at how segmented it still is here. Like different ethnicities live in different parts of town a lot, yeah. and that's. That's kind of surprising. And maybe this, I'm, I don't know too much about New York, and maybe the same thing in New York. So maybe in like bigger, bigger metropolitan areas that that tends to happen. But yeah. I feel like that's not the case so much where I come from. Not just because like, uh, not because it's like monochromatic in in North Carolina. Like where I grew up is is a predominantly black area actually. Um, and the white the white population is is second, but it's it's those two, and it it's, it felt at least to me mostly pretty mixed. Right. So. To me, it was odd a little bit to be like, well, th- those type of people don't live in this part of town, or th- these type of people don't live in this other part right. of town, and it's it's just it's kind of odd. Yeah, it's like an interesting thing is where I live in the valley, uh, there's, I mean, pre- I'd say it's predominantly uh, Latino, hmm. um, but you won't find a lot of, you know, black people in this area. I mean, you'll, of course, you'll find some, you'll find, as I'm sure you'll find white people in some areas and right. Asians in another. And, you know, there, there's some mixture, but it is surprisingly segmented. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and perhaps that makes it easier for people to think of other people in terms of race yeah. and how they are physically different than I am. Right. And it, it, it's almost like the separation geographically helps you separate people in your mind instead yeah. of um, thinking of us all as people. Yeah. Uh, and so, so that's, that's the big, that's the basic plot. If there is one of crash, each character has their own thing that they're working on. Uh, and, but the big through line of all of them is that sooner or later, they are going to have a discussion about race. And sooner or later, for the most part in the film, both, uh, the characters' own prejudices against other races come out, and the ways that they are discriminated against right. by other races come out. So that's one of the ideas that I like behind the film is that it tries to show these people from both sides. Like here they are being oppressed, but here they are oppressing. Yes, that is because we we are certainly going to get to the things that we don't like about the movie. So let's at the moment stick with the things we do like. I will say, I don't think the film condemns anybody, which is surprising. Mm. Even the people that are, one could say, villains or antagonists. Like, there is a character, a a police officer played by Matt Dillon, for which he was nominated, um, who is overtly racist. Like, he actually, it's not merely that he sees... He sees people in terms of race. He race. He is racist, and he talks about it and he, pretty he, regularly. And he justifies it to himself yes. too. Like he he. There's a scene where he talks about why he is a racist, and it's, yes. it's almost like it is a choice more than just something that's born in him that he's not aware yeah. of. And yeah, and he tries to sort of excuse it in himself to a certain extent, almost as if there's a subtext of like, "Hey, I wish I didn't think this thing, but life has left me no choice." Right. Um, and I think Matt Dillon's performance in general is 
one of the highlights of the film. Um, but even then, like, I don't think the film, I think it certainly condemns the things that he says, uh, but I don't think it condemns him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I can't think of anybody with the possible exception of Tony Danza. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> uh, who, who has one scene, uh, and plays uh, a Hollywood type. I don't remember if the character is an actor or a writer or a director, but, uh, but he talks about, he, he's speaking to Terrence Howard about how a certain scene should go or shouldn't go based on, on race. And I think it, it kind of simplifies his character a little bit. Uh, but as far as major characters, to the film's credit, it, it I think, sees them with a clear eye. Uh, it loves all of its characters, but also understands that they are not perfect and they are all deeply flawed and that they all live in this world of racial divide mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So what uh, what do you think of that? I was just going to say, I feel like I remember, uh, and I will say it's been a, a little while since I've seen this movie, so not everything is completely fresh in my mind, but I feel like maybe you'd remember better than me. I feel like feeling like I didn't like the Brendan Fraser character ever. Really? Does I, he have more of a redeeming moment that I'm just not remembering? He doesn't have a redeeming moment, but he doesn't have really an unredeeming moment because when I think about the major characters, he's actually not one of them. Yeah, he's not in it a whole lot. Sandra Bullock is more of a major character. She plays his wife. Right. He's the district attorney mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, and she's uh, his rather privileged wife. And she is allowed to explain herself more. Okay. He kind of shows up in other people's stories. He's more just peripheral to yeah. the rest of it. Um, I don't think it necessarily goes out of his way to show him in a bad light. Uh, he does speak about race, but he talks about it from a political standpoint, from the mm-hmm. point of like getting votes and that sort of thing. Uh, from a, I won't say purely pragmatic standpoint, but it doesn't seem to affect him personally, only professionally. And yeah. I think that... Uh, as opposed to the other characters for whom it seems to be a very personal thing, uh, even his wife. So yeah. while uh, I don't think the film condemns him, I think it. I think the reason that it doesn't give him his moment to explain himself, I think it's because it doesn't consider him a major character. Because he's not really personally invested in yeah. it. And I mean, I guess that I'm sure that's some kind of statement as well, that politicians who aren't personally invested in it don't really have the uh, the depth of understanding to do something about it or to treat it with any kind of uh, effectiveness, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing in the broader sense that I like. Uh, from a filmmaking standpoint, uh, it it did win Best Editing, and I'm actually kind of okay with that. Uh, I rewatched the film last night, and it is put together very well. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, and, and not merely as a function of keeping the character keeping all the characters straight you know and knowing when to check in with each one it's not even so much that as it is uh just the scenes that are powerful are that are meant to be powerful they are because uh, partially because of uh how it's cut together you know i mean it it never ceases to amaze me how big of a role editing plays in how a movie does yeah there's uh I I think I talked about that. Did I talk about this on Battleship Pretension? I don't recall. Anyway, I recently watched uh, the first episode of The Newsroom, uh, the Aaron Sorkin uh, HBO series. Uh, I don't like it. And in the first scene, uh, I don't like really the way it's written. I think it's really on the nose. But it's it was directed by Greg Matola, who did Adventureland 
and uh, super, super bad. bad right? yeah. And so he's a good director. And it was cut together really well to the point where I found myself getting invested in spite of myself in what was going on. Hmm. And that is how Crash is put together. It's just the moments that have power, they have them, and I don't feel manipulated. Hmm. Um, and so I think from a filmmaking standpoint, and I think the cinematography is good, and, and from a directorial standpoint and from a, from a filmmaking standpoint, I think it's actually a pretty good movie. Um, and maybe that's why I can't bring myself to hate it like some people can. I, I, I don't stand by that script, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, well, a lot of these actors are doing good work. And yeah. from, a pure, like, from a purely visual and emotional standpoint, I'm kind of there. So I can't condemn it outright. I'd say probably it's a C to C-plus film. Um, and so... Uh, some of the other, and then there's individual scenes and sequences that I like. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, well, like I said, I'm not crazy about the script as a whole, mm-hmm. and some of the the ways that it tries to deal with a lot of these themes. Right. There are definitely sequences that it's almost like they could stand alone, and I I would I would like them. I still enjoy them in the film. It's just yeah. again when we're talking about it as like the best picture yeah it's not to me it's not the type of quality movie that that deserves that moniker yeah um yeah if they i like almost anything with matt Dillon and his character i think his performance is great he plays a, a cop he plays a patrolman and i know this i apologize to any police officers in the audience but I've known some cops in my time and i've gotten pulled over for tickets and i've had cops that have helped me uh mm-hmm. They all do. Ha- they they all seem to have a certain. I won't say swagger, but they have an air of confidence and authority that I think is probably necessary. And they have a certain tone of voice, where it's a little bit heightened, and it lets them. It lets you know they're in charge. Matt Dillon gets it all. Like he he nails it. He nails the walk. He nails the talk. The t- the tone. It's it's a really really good performance. Uh, and and this is the character that is also overtly racist yeah and so uh and i but i like pretty much all of his scenes and part of me thought like you know it'd be interesting to edit all of his scenes together into just a little short film about this racist (laughs) cop um but uh i think maybe the most rewarding sequence in the film uh and it requires context so i will i will give it to you um Matt Dillon is angry because, well, for a number of reasons, but one of them is that his dad, I think he lives with his father, and his dad is old, and he's probably dying, and he's just sick all the time, and Matt Dillon, like, is having a hard time with that emotionally, but then also he's having a hard time dealing with, like, the insurance companies and all that, and so he's just mad a lot of the time. And then one day, uh, he and his partner, played by Ryan Phillippe, who I think also does a good job, um, they pull over a, a nice SUV uh, that contains Terrence Howard and Thandie Newton. And they are a married couple, and she has been uh, doing stuff to him, performing things on him. And so uh, Matt Dillon uh, asks them, asks them to get out of the car and all that. And he is unnecessarily gruff and aggressive. And then at some point, he actually has them, like, put their hands against the car and all that. And he starts to, like, 
uh, like he gets pat, a little he, handsy. Yeah, with her. he pats them down, and then with her, he clearly is touching her inappropriately. Yeah, uh, and everybody knows it. His mm-hmm. partner knows it. Terrence Howard knows it. Uh, Thandie Newton knows it, and Matt Dillon knows it. They all mm-hmm. know what's going on, and it's totally inappropriate. And he's just he's just taking it out taking out his frustration on this woman. And yes, he probably is targeting them specifically because they are black. If it were a white couple, he probably would not be doing this. Um, he's, he's asserting authority where he feels he deserves it, not merely because he's a cop, but also because he's a white guy. Um, later on in the film, because, uh, uh, Terrence Howard and, and Thandie Newton, like, they get an argument about what they could have done to avoid this. You know, that's later on. Uh, and then we see Matt Dillon trying to deal with his father. We see that Ryan Phillippe uh, requests, uh, you know, a transfer so that he doesn't have to be his partner anymore. And so the frustration comes up again. And then about halfway through the film, uh, is it Thandie Newton or Tandy Newton? I keep saying Thandie, I've, but I've heard both. I've heard both, too. Okay. So whichever makes you It's a happier. TH, so I'm going to say Thandie. All right. Uh, Sounds like you're saying Sandy, but with a lisp. Yeah, I'm now sorry, you're not going to be able to say it that way. Oh, abs- no question about it. <laughs> uh, so uh, Matt Dillon has a new partner. They're driving along, and then they see, they come upon an accident. And a car is has just been is totally flipped over, and it's smoking. And another car, like there's a little fire going on, and so he goes he he goes in to the flipped up flipped over car, and there's Thandy Newton, and. He, they don't totally, he doesn't totally realize it's her right away and she doesn't see him either. And then the minute they lock eyes, she certainly recognizes him and he recognizes her and she, and he's trying to get her out of the car and there's gasoline all over the place. And so like the car is going to blow up if he doesn't get her. Well, it's going to blow up either way, Yeah. but she, she'll die if he doesn't get her out of there. And so he goes to like grab her, but she's like fighting him because of their, their past together. And and he's trying to do the right thing here. Keep that keep that phrase in mind. Um, <laughs> and so finally, he yells at her and says, "I am not going to hurt you." And it get and his his volume and what he's saying gets her attention. And then he says, "Okay, I'm going to need to reach across your lap and undo your uh, seatbelt. Is that okay?" And she says, "Yes." And so he does that. Uh, the seatbelt isn't coming loose, so he's like, okay, I'm going to have to cut you loose. I have a knife here. And so they start doing that. And then uh, a fire starts, and it, it's it's coming towards the car, and uh, and people grab his legs and pull him out, and he hasn't gotten her yet. And he scrambles back in and grabs her, and then they get pulled out. And it's a really wonderful sequence musically and as far as editing, and the yeah, acting the is wonderful. Again. Uh and when and when they get pulled out like he's holding her and she's crying into his chest and i like that scene i love it so much as far as how it's constructed but i also any other movie this this is this is the dynamic that i wish the movie had embraced more often almost any other movie would have had it be somehow vice versa 
Matt Dillon has done this terrible thing, but then somehow he gets in trouble, and Terrence Howard is the one, and he oh, takes yeah. the higher road. He doesn't take the road of vengeance or anything like that. He takes the high road and saves this guy, and Matt Dillon now is like, you know what, maybe they're not so bad. You know, mm-hmm. something like that. This movie actually has the guy who it was the monster, the guy who was the, the victimizer, and he is now in the position of having to be a good person and do what he knows to be right Mm. when he is done so thoroughly wrong. And I love that because it's not, and he does the right thing after do But does that, does that erase the wrong thing? No, it's, I like how complex that is. It makes their relationship so much more complicated and it makes him complicated. And I think it's just, I embrace that, that thematically that, it doesn't take the easy way. It takes the hard way of this guy. I'm not sure if I'd say he redeems himself, but he shows that there are more, there's more to him than even we thought. And maybe than, than he thought. Um, I think that is probably my favorite sequence of the film. Um, and, and it's because it's all, it's all working. Um, and maybe, frankly, maybe it's because aside from the construct of this happening, there's not a lot of, in the script there. There's not a lot of <laughs> talking. That's true, yeah. Um, because I think that's where the film gets in trouble. Yeah. Uh, but before we uh, go into that, I'll talk a little bit more about what I like, and then I'll throw it over to you. Um, I think the acting all around is pretty solid. Um, I think Terrence Howard is great. Uh, this was the same year that he was nominated for Hustle and Flow. Yeah. I think he's an actor that unfortunately has not since then gotten a lot of great opportunities which actually kind of surprised me because i remember that year thinking like all right this guy's yeah he's going places now and he's the next big like guy not that much has happened since which is too, which is a shame yeah especially like when you look at stuff like he was in the first iron man yeah yeah and then good in that if he had been in iron man 2 he would have had a much larger and more important role but for whatever reason uh he wasn't i think it was actual uh studio conflicts really? the studio didn't want didn't want to pay him more in spite of the fact that well I have to do more in this one. And they're like, yeah. nope, sorry, we'll get Don Cheadle. And they did. <laughs> and that is, uh, that's very unfortunate because ta- uh, Terrence Howard, if you see, uh, he's great in Crash and see Hustle and Flow if you can. It's, it's a movie I did not expect to really like as much as I did, but I, I would say I love it. <laughs> and I believe it won the Oscar that year for, uh, for song, best original song, for the song... It's hard out here for a pimp. Oh, that's right. That was the 3-6 so, Mafia six Mafia. Year. That's right. Um, they won an Oscar, and right after, I believe, host John Stewart came out, and he goes, just in case you're keeping track, Martin Scorsese, zero Oscars, 3-6 Mafia, one. <laughs> um, and that was uh, very funny. But uh, So I think, I think the acting is, is great all around. Um, there's a couple... And we, go, we get back to Brendan Fraser. I think actually it's nothing against him, but I think just his natural instincts are a little broad, mm-hmm. which can work great in a certain type of comedy. Yeah, definitely. But in something like this, it didn't quite work for me. Yeah, I, I felt I feel like some of the more um, supporting characters, some of the more peripheral characters, that I kind of feel that same way about yeah. them. It's like they're, they're filler a little bit, but also part of that is, again, I think due to the script. Like, they're yeah. not... I think 
a lot of those characters are not given a whole lot to do because they're not very complex. And so it's just all, here it is. Here it yeah. is, Brendan Fraser. He's a DA. He says this. He does this. Like, yeah. th- there's not much to it. Um, and I'm trying to think if there's other things that I like. There's a sequence that's very ham-fisted, actually, but I still like it. And it has to do with uh, uh, Michael Pena plays this uh, this locksmith, and he is uh, Hispanic. Mm-hmm. And so people already have some ideas. Of, and he's got, like, tattoos and that sort of thing. And so people have an idea of who he is, but they don't see that he's married. He has a young daughter and that he's sort of good, thing. He seems to be a good husband and father. Right. Who's family very man. committed to his family. Right. Uh, but there's this, uh, there's a scene early on where he is trying to fix the the lock for this small like convenience store that's owned by this Persian guy. Uh, but he determines, well, I changed the lock, but it's actually your door that's the problem. You need a new door. And the Persian guy says, what do you mean? I don't understand. Why am I paying for you to fix the lock? You know, you, you said you fixed it, so fix it. He's like, no, I, I did fix it, but you need a new door. And the guy's like, I don't, I don't understand, you know, because there's a, something of a language barrier there. Yeah. Uh, and so there's frustration, and then later on the, uh, the store gets robbed, gets robbed and, like, vandalized and stuff, and he, and he doesn't get the insurance because he discovers that, oh, uh, it was recommended I get a new door, and I didn't do that. Mm. And so... Uh, he doesn't get like insurance doesn't handle it and he's looking for somebody to blame and so he puts the blame on michael pena and so he goes to his he finds out where he lives goes to his house and he's going to shoot him Hmm. he wants some money uh to compensate and he's going to shoot him uh and then michael pena's daughter runs out because of uh, that's the thing with these this happens in a lot of movies like there are so many where I wonder if you could find, this would be a funny supercut if you could get all the times where a child yells like, daddy, daddy, or mommy, and comes running right into, right into the midst yeah. of gunfire. I feel like that's kind of a, it's becoming a, a, a hackneyed trope. Yeah, and it's no and it's no less hackneyed than this, by the way. Yeah, um, it's but uh, it's but it's handled well. It, it is handled, and I think uh, I think a lot of it is the editing, yep. like you said, like the editing gets you there. And th- this yeah. one might be a little manipulative. You were saying like you don't feel like most of these are. This might be a little. I think it is a little, um, but it's still effective because yeah. you think that for, for those of you who are wondering what we're talking about. As the Persian shopkeeper goes to shoot Michael Pena, the girl comes right into the crossfire, and, and you hear the gunshot, and you think yeah. that she's been shot. Yeah. Um, but then she's fine and come to find out it's because the Persian shopkeeper had accidentally put blanks in his gun or had bought bullets that he didn't know were blanks. Right. Um, and yeah, and and there's a little bit of a corny setup to it as well, which ends up being, it, it ends up being a little sweet, but maybe too sweet, maybe a little saccharine. Yeah. That, uh, he, he always talks with his daughter about her having like a invisible, does he say... Well, what happened was that she, uh, they, it becomes clear they have, they had moved from a much more dangerous neighborhood. And so she, she's scared. She's hiding under the bed. She thought she heard like a gunshot. And so he tells her this thing about an invisible cloak that was given to him as a, uh, by a fairy when he was very young and he was supposed to give it to his daughter. And so he, and that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's a little, as you say, saccharine. But Michael Pena, who I think has proven himself out to be like a really, really good and interesting actor, if yeah. you see movies like uh, Observe and Report, 
Uh, and I think, what is he on, Eastbound and Down now? I don't totally is recall. He? I, I think it's I that. I know that. That's cool. Um, but yeah, I think he's a great actor, and there's there's a real sensitivity there. I do. I feel like I'm watching a father make up something to make his daughter feel better, mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, as opposed to I'm watching an actor pretend to be a dad as he says this really sweet thing that will come into play later. Like, right. It's not so much yeah. that, but uh, he plays it off. He he does play it very well. You believe yeah. every moment of it when he's talking to the little girl, and and that's cool. But then when you realize like that's why that happened. Right, it comes off more as like this is a mechanism of yeah. the movie and not necessarily something. Uh, it's a little organic. neat, yeah. Um, but yeah, but the sequence where she runs out and the gun goes off and all that, like it's definitely uh, a, a tear, like a it gets yeah. you emotional and it def- definitely has an emotional payoff. So it is effective, yeah. While it may not be artistically sound, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know there are techno there are the. That's probably not there are the, the technical. Right word. There are technical aspects of filmmaking that can actually mask bad filmmaking, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, so uh, we we do need to move on uh, quite a bit, actually. Um, so, what are some of the things that that you like? You've kind of mentioned some stuff uh, along the way, and if we want to move on, that's fine. Yeah, it's it's mainly just that there are those few; those are the two sequences that I remember the most. That those are the ones that stick out in memory the most. They're pretty and, iconic. Yeah, and they're both they're both effective. You can uh, the, the performances are good. Like I feel like those are things that that work well. Um, and again, like you mentioned with the editing, the way it 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 knows when to move to different characters. And, uh, and, and it tries at some very complex ideas. I feel like it falls short, mm-hmm. but, um, th- there are points when I think it, it hits the right note and it, it, it says something, but coming away from the movie, you don't really get, I think a very strong message about racism or even, even any, interesting questions about racism as much as you just remember sequences that were emotionally effective to you. And I feel like that's one of the major things that I don't like about the film. And I think, and I'll use that as a transition into the uh, stuff that we don't care for. Um, Yeah, it does. Like when I said that it's neat, that's what I mean. Like Mm -hmm. when dealing with racial tension in a movie, neat and tidy is not, uh, those aren't words that I would want to use. Uh, It's, it's, complicated and it's frustrating and it's angering uh and you get a little bit of that in the movie but for the most part with the exception of those sequences for the most part you're just kind of sitting and watching and it's like wow this is this is good and that's Mm -hmm. it it feels very safe right uh and what's more like from a thematic standpoint you come away as i did in 2005 uh you come away saying like you know in a way, uh, that, you know, that movie's got a point. You know, we're all kind of racist. And that's it. You don't really, I don't think you really do anything with that, which is right. something that I'd say most people would agree with. Uh, and I but like it, doesn't, it doesn't require anything of you. Yeah, and it doesn't really say anything about that either. It's like, like you said, most people agree with it. Like everybody yeah. knows that it, well, not everybody knows maybe, but most people, I think, have an understanding that people have racial, racial prejudices mm-hmm. and sometimes those affect the way that they think or act yeah and so if if that's what the movie has to say ultimately who cares yeah and that and that's the thing is it's not like every movie has to say something new no or say something in a new way but at the same time that's the goal that this movie's aiming for yes and 
and I'll you know what I'll go ahead and uh, I, we'll bring up some details, but that's but I don't want to necessarily dwell on the things that I that I don't like. Um, I think by and large it's still a movie that I recommend, not as much as I'll recommend the companion film, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, yeah, it's and one of the one of the questions that I have, and it is a question because I don't totally know what I think about it. Um, there is a scene in which Terrence Howard and Thandie Newton are talking about what it is to be black and accusing each other of not being black enough and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, I am of the opinion that any artist can, can tackle any subject they want. But one of people's criticisms of this film is that this is, about, this is a movie about race as, ri- as written by a middle-aged, successful white man. Mm-hmm. And so while I'm sure, you know, just because you're white doesn't mean you can't have an opinion on this. It doesn't mean you can't think about it. But there's, it, it's not totally unlike when people got a little upset with Quentin Tarantino when Jackie Brown came out and he used the N-word a lot in his <laughs> script. Now, it made sense for the characters that he was writing, but people were like, I don't know, like... This white guy sat down and typed the N-word a bunch. And I remember feeling that same way about Pulp Fiction when there's the scene that he wrote that he's performing yeah. when uh, Samuel Jackson and John Travolta show up at his house with yeah. the dead guy in the back of the car. Yeah. Like, does my, does, is there a sign on my, front, on my front lawn that says dead N-word storage? Exactly. And I remember thinking, and I, it still makes me cringe a little bit watching it now, and it's like, you're, you're putting this in the words of a character that you're playing. Yeah. It's a, it's a little... It, I probably wouldn't have noticed if he'd if he'd cast somebody else. Maybe not. But certainly, there's certainly, if it was an African American actor, you wouldn't right. you wouldn't mind as much. But and and for him, I think it's more it's less that uh, he's. I think it's less that he's trying to say something about racism or shock even shock anybody. It's mm-hmm. more that I think Quentin Tarantino feels almost like he is okay using that sort of word because of maybe his community or where he feels like he comes from or something like that. The way he talks about being raised on, you know, in, in these grindhouse theaters and, and like, I remember him saying on one of the big talk shows when, uh, kill bill came out that he wanted to release it in like Compton and invite a bunch of bloods and a bunch of crips and not tell the other ones that they were showing up (laughs) and then just start the movie once they had realized everything. Um, but like, I know that's kind of ridiculous, but he feels fun or comfortable or at home in that sort of uh, environment so i feel like that's maybe why he's th- yeah. this is a we're going way off topic it's, I'm it's, sorry, it's a little bit off topic but it's it's you know it he felt entitled to do that in for whatever reason and it's and there might be and i say this as somebody that is i'd say politically conservative and i think the idea of something being politically correct or not and y- that using that to shut people down and say, no, you don't get to have an opinion on this because it's not about you. It's about someone else. So why are you, you know, sticking your nose into somebody else's business? So I've, I've heard that before, okay? And I don't want to make this political. Uh, but, you know, it could, there, there is sort of, there is a certain stereotype of the privileged white guy being like, well, well what about me? Why can't I have an opinion? Mm-hmm. I've got an opinion double standard like saying that sort of thing yeah um i think it's i i think that yeah, i think it's mostly a, a stereotype but i think there probably are some people that say that uh yeah. and, are, and are like that i'm sure i probably have been myself at some point um 
and there are times when the film kind of has that vibe uh, where he feels as though it's like he's like it's perfectly okay for him to have two black characters talk about what it is to be black, though he has never experienced it himself. Right. Um, but he feels like that's perfectly okay because he's trying to do something. Mm-hmm. Something, all caps. I'm trying to do something here, you yeah. know? And um, I feel like it's the same thing when he has people being overtly racist. Yeah. I feel like he's he's condemning it, but almost... At the same time, I feel like the writer himself is saying, like, oh, I'm so good that I'm condemning this racism. Like, isn't right. it nice that we can all agree with And I think that's, this? you know, the, the, term ra- the term racist, like, it gets, it, it gets thrown around a fair amount. To the point where we sometimes don't even know what it means anymore. I would say, yeah. I, I found myself the other day having a discussion with somebody, and I wanted to say, how do you define it? Yeah. Um, cause I'm not totally sure how, if I know how to define it, hmm. um, at this point. Uh, but the one thing that gets me is when you watch a movie like crash and you have characters who are yelling racial things at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, well, pretty much everybody condemns that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's the kind of thing. It's like, first off, I don't, I don't think a lot of people actually do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like if, if. Uh, an Asian person and a, and a black person, if they got in a car accident, I don't think they would immediately jump to black people drive that way. Asian people drive that way or anything like that. I think if they were angry, they'd probably just be angry, but I don't think they would jump to that immediately. Mm. Even if they're thinking it, I don't think they would jump to it. Yeah. Um, and so when you're condemning the type of racism that I'd say by and large, isn't necessarily there because it's, it's all overt. I think you wind up ignoring the much more covert and I think the much more common racism that we all deal with every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give an example. And I and you know what? I, I Hey, I'm just going to be spitting the truth, man. Okay. <laughs> but I'm just I'm going to talk truth, about Ruth. That's the truth. Uh, stay tuned. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like I, I mentioned, uh, the film talks a lot about Asian drivers. Mm. Okay. Now, if somebody cuts you off. Or if somebody's, like, not driving well or something like that. Now, I always, it, one, if I drive by them, I will look in and give them a mean stare, no matter who it is, because I'm a jerk. <laughs> uh, and that's something I shouldn't do. It comes totally from a place of judgment, and I try not to do it anymore. But there was a time when I would do it every time, because I was so mad at this person for inconveniencing me when they obviously didn't realize they did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't purposely trying to bother me but so let's say you do that let's say somebody cuts you off and then you look into their car now if that person is asian or let's say how about this let's say the person let's say it's a woman i mean there are stereotypes about women drivers Mm -hmm. i don't think any i i think it's actually been proven that it's very much not true (laughs) um or let's say it's uh, like an older person. Like mm. I, we were talking about like, you know, racism, but it can go to anything really. Like it's it's an outward thing that you can judge on. You know, and so like if you see it's a woman you're like, yeah, well, there you go. Or if it's an Asian it's like, yeah, well, that's that's about mm. right. Or like an old people's like, um, yeah, they shouldn't be on the road. Like you're make you start making a generalization based on this thing. And may and listener, maybe you don't do it. I try not to do it, and for the most part I think I don't. But you know, you got to pay attention to what you think, not mm. merely what you say. Right. Because, you know, it, from a Christian standpoint, like, the Bible says if you lust after a woman, then 
it's like you've committed the act. If you hate somebody, it's like you've murdered them. And so if you're thinking something racist or prejudiced, then, yeah, you didn't say it. But that if you're thinking it, then it might actually come out in your actions in a different way that you're not realizing. And that's a much more complex and deeper issue and problem to deal with. Whereas a lot of times in Crash, it's just dealing with the stuff on the surface. This guy just yells at another person that he's whatever stereotype. Right. And it's like, okay... Yes, it's true that we, we all agree that that's wrong, and we all agree it's wrong to say that. Um, it's more interesting, I think, as a film to to do, to delve into the ways that those things are under the surface and affect the way that we that we that then bubble up to yeah. to affect the way that we act. Because if you and I don't know how you would even do this, but if you address the way people think, you know. It, if okay, if you have people saying stuff, then you can walk out of the theater and saying like, "Well, I don't do that, so I'm fine." Yeah. But if you address the way people think or the way society thinks or something yeah. like that, well, then you're like, "I might think that from time to time. I I may need to reassess me." Yeah. And for instance, one one where it could have been more effective if it was more subtle is the the Matt Dillon thing, like. Mm-hmm. That, like you said, that's a that's a good arc and it's it's an interesting story. But what if he never tells the story about how right he's a racist? What if he doesn't think he's a racist, but we right. see the way that he acts when he gets Terrence Howard and uh, Tandy Newton, Tandy Newton, whatever, out of the whatever. car? What have you? Like, if that happens, and then Ryan Felipe says to him, "What are you doing?" and he's like, "What?" It doesn't like he doesn't even notice that he's acting differently. That suddenly becomes more heinous, and I think yeah, raises deeper questions, and like. Now, to a certain extent, maybe you can't do it with a movie like this. Maybe if you had a whole movie about Matt Dillon's character, you could show us more subtle things. You maybe so could. So maybe it's that. Yeah. But at the same time, little things like, for example, uh, the, the woman that he's dealing with at the insurance company is black. Hmm. And he asks her name. And her name is, of course, Shaniqua. When I say of course, what I mean to say is, well, this is a movie about race. And they are going to deal with it in a very obvious way. So what would the obvious name be for a black woman that this guy is not going to like? Yeah. It's going to be Shaniqua. Yeah. And then he's going to have to comment on it. She has to have a name so that he can comment on it. Right. And it's just one of those things just like that's so easy. Her name could have been Nicole. You know what I mean? Like, and then, but then you don't have the opportunity for him to say, of course it is. Yeah, you know what I mean, and then you, ha- but then you have to find a different way to show about show his attitude towards her, right? And it becomes a more subtle way, and and it's more difficult to write, honestly. Yeah, which is why I, one of the reasons that I don't have as much respect for this script because I feel yeah. like a lot of times it just takes the easy way out. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't take too much time to try and really delve into these characters and and delve into the like the deeper problems of racism and thinking about racism. It's just like. Here's people that that don't like each other for racism and really the kind of thing – the same thing's happening to them on the other side and maybe they should pay attention to that. Movie's over. Yeah. (laughs) So – and there are a lot of of elements of that where people – I mean they just come out and speak very clearly about it in ways that – and maybe maybe a lot of people do that. But like I don't do it. Well, I mean, I certainly don't yell stuff in people's face. But even, like, if I'm just talking with my wife, I don't talk about, like, how black people are or how Hispanic people. Like, I don't I do not do that. I don't say that, like, I'm a good person. I say that to say, well, if I don't say it, 
I assume other people don't say it. And if other people don't say it, then why are the people in this movie saying it? Um, and I will address this other thing. Um, there are people that have said that Crash is a fable. Now, I've heard that, and I can see it. I can see why someone would say that, and there is an argument to be made for that. But we, we do need to define fable. How do you define fable, Josh Long, more than one lesson? <laughs> How do I define it? Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, that would be something that is is almost, first of all, kind of set in a in a world that we recognize isn't the same as reality. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's, that's separated and I think contained in a way and that has characters who clearly kind of represent something more than they are actually, more than just being people. Right. And, um, and, and I think if that, if it is something like that, it, it gives you the excuse to be a little more on the nose because um, it's almost allegorical in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like that's the case with this film. I feel like it's meant to be couched in reality. Mm. I feel like the characters are meant to be realistic. And I think the things that they say are not meant to be uh, like emblematic of an entire idea and just having people who are just speaking an idea. But I think it's more it's meant to shock you a little bit. And I think that's why people are so just on the nose and open about things. Um, I think maybe the filmmaker thinks that in shocking you into hearing these things about racism, maybe it'll make you think something, but I don't think, I don't think it really does. I think it's more just, it's got shock value and that's it. And I think because I, I'm, we talk about this a lot on battleship retention that more and more I'm of the opinion that what a filmmaker intends doesn't really matter what's on the screen and how a person interprets it that's kind of what matters because it doesn't belong to the filmmaker anymore so if there is somebody out there who legitimately thinks that this is a fable go right ahead you you have an argument because when people are speaking very clearly and each one kind of represents a certain type okay and and it's all for a greater it all works towards a greater message um Okay, fair enough. I, I actually, I'll let you have it. That's fine. Uh, I don't think I interpret it that way, but I will not dispute that you do. Um, and I, won't, I don't think I'll even try to convince you that it isn't. But what I will say is, fables, I, in my experience, like Aesop's fables and stuff, I don't find them to be remarkably engaging. Um, they are, by their very nature, simplistic. You know, I, I don't think people often come away from a fable and think in terms of like, wow, I don't know. That's that really got to me. I think I need to examine myself. No, they come away and say, that's a good point. That's a thing. To, that's a thing to always keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Noted. And then they and then they go about their lives. Um, and so like often a fable reminds you of something. Mm-hmm. It doesn't tell you something. Um, it reminds you of something you've already known. Yeah. And so if it is a fable, then. Uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't like the movie and you shouldn't consider it a fable, but if it succeeds as a fable, then it's only going to be so engaging, I think. But that's that's my opinion. So, um, so one movie that uh, the 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 companion film uh, is a movie again, large cast. It deals pretty overtly with race, mm-hmm. but I think is infinitely better. Um, 
in execution, in theme, in content. I think it's all there. And that is Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing from 1989. Yeah. I feel like I can't talk about Crash without talking about Do the Right Thing. Because (laughs) I think I've said before, I feel like it's the true and better Crash. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I feel like David Cronenberg's Crash is the true and better Crash. (laughs) Well. Everything about that movie is totally true, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've done all those things. Um, (laughs) So... But yeah, uh, do the right thing for those who don't too much know too much about it. Um, takes place in one uh, small community in New York City, Bedford Stuyvesant, or I think they call it Bed Stuy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm saying the full name right. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not from there. Sorry. But uh, it's about uh, racial tensions that build up and boil over over the course of one day. In, uh, in this town. And we see uh, several different races. It, it mostly deals with Italian-American, African-American, and uh, Korean-American. Yeah. Um, those are the three principles. And Korean oh, there, is, is mostly a subplot. It's mostly a subplot. There are uh, um, Latino, uh, Puerto Rican, I believe, yeah. families in there as well. But they're, they're, uh, I'd say they're even less of a ro- they play even less of a role than the Koreans. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, but they're certainly in there, and I think yeah. it's, it's mentioned. And, and it's clear that they are uh that that's another separate thing as well yeah but um i don't know i i, I think this is a, a great movie um and uh, it, it starts at like even even just the setting like it's hot it's yeah. hot that's how it starts and the whole thing is like everybody is under this heat which causes like it like builds tension it builds like stress and it's shot beautifully by uh, ernest dickerson yeah who uh is uh, a noted uh, cinematographer and uh, we've talked about it on my other show heat is a very difficult thing to convey mm. like yeah you can have actors like mopping their brows and all that sort of thing but like he shoots in like harsh yellows and yeah. harsh reds and i had forgotten about how harsh the the color temperature yeah. was in that one and that, and that really that really points it out very, yeah it feels hot you feel hot and sticky as you're watching it and yeah. nobody's mood is good when they're hot <laughs> and i love that not only does that kind of uh, amplify all the tension that's already there, but it's a common factor that everybody's having. Yep. So it's it also it's acts as some, exactly it acts as something that whether you're the guys working at the pizzeria, whether you're the the you know the old guys on the corner, whether you're the Korean family, whether you're the the Puerto Ricans listening to music out on the stoop, everybody's in the same place there. Everybody mm. is under the same heat, and I really like the way that it's that it's unifying. Yeah, and and you know it's kind of interesting. Um, in any movie like this, they tend to have a unifying thing. One, either something that happens repeatedly or, uh, or one event. Uh, in Crash, uh, there is a, a moment towards the end where there's a montage of uh, it has started to snow. Um, it does not snow very often in Los Angeles, uh, but it is not unheard of. And so this, the movie being what it is, uh, it, it starts to snow and everybody notices in their separate mm-hmm. world yeah. in magnolia you've got uh things frogs. falling from the sky frogs something. okay it's frogs. i was just gonna say something happens with frogs but then you said falling from the sky <laughs> so now if anybody uh, hasn't seen that movie before and you can put together our little puzzle there <laughs> um but uh it reminds me uh, i think i've said it before but uh, it reminds me of one of my favorite things where uh from the simpsons where uh Skinner is trying to is going to make some kind of change in the school, at, sparked by Lisa, and it's going to bother everybody. He's like, he goes, uh, 
He goes, uh, somebody has told me, I, uh, I won't say her name, let's just say Lisa S. No, that's too obvious. Let's say L. Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, oh, they're at her desk. Um, that's a great one. But yeah, uh, in a movie like Shortcuts, there's a couple of earthquakes. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, or maybe just one earthquake. And then, and then the movie Time Code which is a unique little film. Have you seen it? I, I've seen part of it. I haven't seen the whole thing. It's an interesting movie. I recommend everybody watch it. I'm not sure if I'd say it's incredibly satisfying uh, artistically, but it's it interesting. There's some really interesting concepts yeah. know, in, the, in the execution. Yeah, uh, wonderfully executed. But, um, but I think in that, there's uh, earthquakes a couple of times that uh, unify everybody. And so with this, yeah, it's the heat. It's, it's the common thing. And as we've seen from 12 Angry Men... Tensions are high when it's hot, uh, when it's the hottest day of the year in New York. Um, and yeah, the, 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 the bulk of the cast is uh, black. Uh, it takes place in what is a predominantly black neighborhood, but it's worth noting that uh, most of the action takes place around a, place, uh, a, a pizzeria called Sal's Famous Pizza or something. Um, pizzeria. Pizzeria, yeah, okay. Yeah, says. And so... Um, I said pizza right just a moment ago. Why didn't I say it again? <laughs> uh, and so Sal's is run by an older uh, Italian guy played by Danny Aiello and his two young son- younger sons played by uh, uh, John Turturro and Richard Edson. And for, I'd say, I'd say for the most part, they really are the only uh, non-black characters. They are the minority. And people are aware of it even if they don't say it and that Mm -hmm. i think is the key while this is unquestionably a movie about race and people talk about race uh it's uh written and directed by spike lee by the way who is not opposed to controversy (laughs) um but uh and he plays the main character named mookie and uh there's a scene where he sits down with uh, john turturro who does show himself to be pretty racist and pretty angry yeah. Um, with everybody, not merely other races, but his own family. Uh, and they have a sit down and talk about what race means. And and it's it's maybe one of the more overt things, but I feel like it earns it because not every other moment of the film is like that. Right. And it and it's clear like it happens because John Turturro says these things here and there and Mookie just doesn't like it. He can't take it anymore. And so finally, hey, come on, I want to talk to you. And that's it. And then the movie continues. Uh, and I think because there's so much, it, it does such a good job of setting a scene and setting the tone for the whole neighborhood. These characters don't just sit around and talk about race and think about race all the time. Right. Uh, it comes up and then it goes away and yeah. then it comes up again. Right. And then it goes away for long stretches of time. It's and something it, it allows you to get to know these people outside of that context. Right. Exactly. You can you can there because because there's so much more to them also. And we're dealing with a lot of those other things that are going on with them. We're not only seeing them in terms of how their racial relationships are affecting these right. other things. There's a lot of other tension that is in this movie. And I think that's one of the things the movie wants to point out is just there's tension between people. Yeah. There's tension. There's specified between old people and young people. Yeah. Between um, family members, uh, mm-hmm. between like uh, men and women, I'd men say. and women, employed and unemployed, yeah. uh, is another one. Um, uh, and then even within like like within the African American community, there's there's some that are uh, immig- there's specifically one where I think the one guy's implied that he's an immigrant, and at least I think his two friends are not. Mm-hmm. So there's like immigrant versus quote unquote natural. Yeah. Um, 
So th- there's just a lot of different tensions that are going on between people, and I feel like that's an important point that the movie's making. And uh, and one thing, and and this is what I this is what I like about it, and this is I think this might be the difference between a movie about race written and directed by a white man and a movie about race written and directed by a black man. Like you and I are about as white as you get. Oh yeah, and. And so we can rail about racism all day long. And that's fine. It's bad. We're against it. But it doesn't really affect us on a personal level. We can, we can sympathize if it, if it happens like a friend of ours or something like that. If somebody's discriminated against, like we can, we can sympathize with them. But it doesn't happen to us personally. That doesn't mean that we can't have an opinion. It doesn't mean that we can't have an episode about it. Uh, but... It just means that our interpretation and our expression is probably going to be a little different. Spike Lee, who is a very, you know, very racially conscious uh, man in general, uh, for good or ill, by the way, um, I think in this case, in the movie, in the case of the movie, for good, mm-hmm. in the case of uh, how he dealt with the whole George Zimmerman thing, for ill. Mm-hmm. So, but he's always shown himself to be very racially conscious, and yeah. he's a black man like he I think he knows that like there are probably certain areas of the country or the world where if he goes people are deeply aware of of the color of his skin Mm -hmm. and that's all they're going to see whether they do anything about it or not they know it they know hey there's a black guy in the in the uh, in the store or something like that Um, and knowing that feeling like you have eyes on you when you, for no reason aside from just who you are and how you look, uh, that's something that Spike Lee has that Paul Haggis doesn't. And I think that's why, that's one of the reasons why a film like this works so well, is he wants to show that, yes, I'm racially conscious, but that's not all I am. That might be, that might be how you see me as, oh, well, he's a black guy, so he's always thinking about race. No, he's thinking about the neighborhood he's thinking about relationships with women he's thinking about employment he's thinking about all these other things and yes there's this underneath and so um so i'm not i I don't mean to say that like white people can't make a movie about race but it will be different and i feel like do the right thing is immensely more personal than uh than crash uh than crash is yeah so so tensions are high (laughs) in uh and do the right thing. But there's also, by the way, there's also a fair amount of comedy in it. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's another thing I think that separates it from a movie that's very kind of ham-fisted, like you said, like Crash is, is that I don't feel like there are that many moments of levity in that movement, in that movie, um, because it's, it has to be so serious all the time. Yeah. And I don't feel like that's the case with Do the Right Thing. There's a lot of really funny sequences yeah. in it. Um, I, in watching it again recently, I was surprised at how how often I was laughing at it. Yeah. Um, and it's on purpose. It's not like, and it's not ironic humor or something like that. Like, can you believe that what these, it's not humor at racism or something like that. No, it's, 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 it's just, relational humor. Yeah, it's exactly. characters making jokes with each other. They're yeah. laughing. We're laughing. Like it's just situational humor. There's just a lot of, lot it's, of good it, stuff going on. It's amazing how much laughter, even in a movie that is as serious as do the right thing, uh, shows itself to be. Yeah. It's amazing how much laughter can do to unify characters, but also uh, connect us with the characters. Right. If they're laughing and we're laughing, then boom, we're all together. Yeah. 
Um, I also recommend watching the movie in a blazing hot room. Um, <laughs> don't do that. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah. But uh, so if there is a plot, because there definitely is a climax, there's a, it's all building towards a thing. Right. And so one thing that happens is there is a character played uh, played by Giancarlo Esposito. The character's name is Buggin' Out. <laughs> uh, that's his name. And, uh, and, and it should be – I think it's a point that a lot of these characters in the movie have nicknames. I yes. think not – just because of of the type of community or something like that, but I, I think a lot of them are kind of representative of something yeah. in a way, and I think that's I think that's on purpose. Yeah, Ossie Davis plays a guy who is not necessarily homeless, but he's known to be like the drunk who just kind of walks around, sort of but he means well, well and right. he's not hurting anybody, uh, and he's known as Demer. Yeah. Okay, because he's chances are he's been around here longer than anybody else, and mm-hmm. he kind of. It's kind of his neighborhood. Yeah. Um, Ruby D plays a character named Mother Sister, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which, and she sort of is the mother of everybody on the block and their sister as well. Yeah. And well, so, and Mother Sister kind of, it, it carries with it this almost religious connotation as well. Like you think of yeah. nuns when you hear that. And yeah. uh, so it's fitting that she's sort of matriarchal. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yes, that's a, a good thing to bring up. So, Bugging Out, played by Giancarlo Esposito, who is Italian, by the way. Is yes, he re- he, I mean, he is, uh, I think he's, because uh, he is black as well. He must but, be part Italian. With a name like yeah. Giancarlo, you can't just, yeah, that is, <laughs> you got to have some Italian in you. That is very specifically Italian. Yeah. Um, but uh, viewers might know him more from uh, a great performance in Breaking Bad, where he plays Gus. I didn't even know that. Now I have to. Yeah, oh, he's great. That's yeah. just another reason that I need to start watching that show. You know what? It's fine. It's not. <laughs> really? Yeah. You're the first person that I've heard just say that it's okay. Like everybody else I'm hearing is saying it's the best show they've ever seen on television. It's not The Wire. It's not Deadwood. Mm-hmm. It's not The Sopranos. Watch those first. Well, it's I not Friday Night Lights. Either. What was that? I haven't seen any of those either. Watch those so. first. Breaking Bad, I know people swear by it. I, the first two seasons are okay. The acting's great all around. Uh, third season, it really starts to get good. Mm-hmm. And I started to become more invested, but by and large, I don't. It just doesn't hmm. doesn't totally do it for me. I, I was invested, and I'll watch season four. Uh, it's on Netflix now. I'll watch season four and season five. I think just I uh, just started, and so I'll keep watching. But it is not the life changing experience for hmm. it. Wasn't the life changing experience for me that I, that it was for other people? Yeah, Side note, um, but uh, so bugging out goes into Sal's Pizzeria, and. There's the Wall of Fame. The Wall of Fame has photos of Italians. Italian-Americans. Italian-Americans. Frank Sinatra, Al Pacino, John Robert Niro, uh Jake LaMotta, right? Rocky Marciano. There were some, some boxers up there. One of them might have yeah. been Jake LaMotta. And so, uh, so, I mean, Sal is Italian. And so this is a, a tribute to other Italians and, and bugging out who you get the impression maybe he got his nickname because he's <laughs> always upset about something. And, uh, and he has found something to be upset about. Yeah. Uh, and that's that there are no black people on the Wall of Fame. Danny Aiello says, well, this is my place. I'm Italian. These are Italians. Yeah. He says, if you want... Some, the quote is brothers on the wall. If you want some brothers on the wall, make your own restaurant. You yeah. can have your brothers, your sisters, your uncles, whatever you want. Yeah. And so, um, but that's, that's not enough for all bugging out. No, no. Uh, he wants to arrange a boycott. And what's interesting is he wants, he wants people to boycott it, but nobody supports him. Nobody's Everybody's on, like, no, I don't want to. 
Yeah. I'm heading there right now. And that's that's one of the things that, again, I like about the movies. It could just be like, especially knowing what the climax is, it could be that just more and more people start being like, hey, yeah, Sal's a, a bad guy, or Sal is... Sal does this or does that, um, or like his one son is really racist, which is the case. Yeah, but um, it's not like that. Sal's is part of the community, and whether or not they like things about him, and a lot of them have problems with him. Even Spike Lee's character Mookie, who works there, has problems with him. Yeah, but it's not. They're not on that same level that Bugging Out gets to, which is like we've got to boycott it. Like, yeah. like no, I'm like you said, I'm going there right now. Or like no, they've been in the con- in the in the. It's part of the part of the community. It's been yeah. here for twenty years or something. And Sal feels a great deal of pride in being part of that community. You know, yeah. he talks about like I've been here twenty five years. I've seen kids grow up, and they grew up on my food. Yeah. Like that's a that's great. You know, yeah. and it's and I I love that scene by the way when yeah, he talks no. about that. Um, and so uh, there's another character played by Bill Nunn named uh, Radio Rahim who carries around a giant. Boombox. A ghetto blaster. A ghetto blaster, as it has been called. <laughs> uh, and he's just blasting music all the time. And he goes into Sal's, and Sal is uncharacteristically impatient with Radio Rahim. He does not <laughs> want to hear this music. And so, Radio Rahim... It, I think oh, it should be noted, too, that he's almost always playing the same song. Yes. He's playing uh, Public Enemy. Yeah. And someone even asks him one time, like, why don't you play anything else? He's like, I don't like anything else. Yeah. So there, yes, there's that fight the power. I believe yeah. is that. So, uh, and a uh, quick quick thing. Uh, Radio Rahim has a uh, nice little monologue. He has uh, these rings on his fingers. On his right hand, it says love. On his left hand, they spell out hate. And he gives a an adapted version of a monologue from Night of the Hunter, which is awesome. Which that's, is awesome. Go back to episode great... twenty if you want to hear about uh, Night of the Hunter. Yeah, yeah. But uh, and I thought that was a really inspired thing to do because yeah. it didn't need to be in there. But I kind of no, it. yeah, and and I love the way they do it and the way uh, Bill Nunn goes through the whole the whole thing, sort of that uh, yeah. that Robert Mitchum does of like the fight between right hand and left hand, and he, he puts his own spin on it, so he's not just copying, right? And I just I uh, yeah, because really this like character would not out. talk like Reverend Harry Powell, well, <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, so anyway, so really the one person that is actively angry at Sal is Radio Rahim, except, of course, for bugging out. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of time before these two guys find each other. Right. And, uh, and when they do... Community. Small community. When they do, they go into Sal's. It's closing time, but he, they've let in a couple people to make them... Uh, give them some slices. And um, so they come in, and it's loud, and it's noisy, and Sal is... It's the end of the day. He's had enough. He's furious. And, uh, and so... He tells Radio Rahim to uh, turn it down. He and, won't. And it's not just that they've come in now. It's it's that they were closed anyway. Sal just opened up for a few other people. And then yeah. these two come in and they're furious about the wall yeah. and about the music. And they're they're telling him, like, we're going to play the music if we want to. And we want brothers on the wall, they yes. say. So uh, Sal's had enough. He grabs a baseball bat and smashes the radio. Radio Rahim attacks Sal and uh, gets on top of him and then people uh, and then it moves out to the street I believe where the cops break it up and as they are breaking it up they choke Radio Rahim to death people find that found that to be the the characters find that to be uh, unnecessary which it is Mm -hmm. Um, and they are but the cops are gone by that time so now they're mad at Sal and his sons as though they are the ones that did it 
Yeah. Uh, and so they're furious, and it's clear, like, oh, something's going to break bad. And then Mookie, played by Spike Lee, takes a trash can and throws it through Sal's window. And, uh, and that incites everybody to go into Sal's and just destroy it. They just dive into the place right away. And yeah, they light it, it on fire. Yeah. They do the whole thing. And then the next day, uh, Mookie and Sal are talking outside of his uh, burned-out building and, mm-hmm. you know, are talking about the events of the day. And <laughs> maybe that's not the best way to say it. It's not like they're having tea or something. <laughs> but, uh, and so, but that's, that's the climax. And, and then it ends with, uh, the film ends with a couple, of, uh, a couple of quotes, one by Martin Luther King and one by Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. And Martin Luther King is all about, his quote is all about how violence is not the answer. He says it's both impractical and immoral. Yes. And then he kind of outlines why. And then Malcolm X, that quote is about, he's not for violence, but, in sel- you know, there's a difference between violence and self-defense. And, uh, you know, if, I, I, don't, I don't even call it self-defense. I call it intelligence. Yeah. And so that's the note the movie ends on. Yeah. And well, it's it shows both of those quotes, and then we get a picture of the two of, of them two together, of them smiling, shaking hands, and smiling. Yeah, um, a picture that has been shown to us throughout the film, by the way. Right, it's been kind of a common. Th- it's it's yeah. the first thing we see, I think, in the movie. I believe too, so. Isn't yes. it? When uh, uh, the character called Smiley is mm-hmm. is he has a little story of sorts that he tells about the yeah. two of them. And so, so what we have is a movie that is incredibly frustrating. But in the best possible way. Yeah. But that's the thing is like I watch it and I instinctively and and that's the thing. I immediately have to start questioning me mm-hmm. immediately because yeah. I side with Sal. Why yeah. am I siding with Sal? Mm-hmm. Is it because I mean, I'm certainly not Italian, but because is it because I'm white? Do I find that? Do I? Do I side with him because I'm closer to him than I am the other characters? Mm. You know, d- because when uh, Giancarlo Esposito, he's saying like, hey, we we in the community, we give you money. We made your business. Why don't you have any uh, brothers on the wall? And part of me is like, hey, it's his establishment. If you don't like it, you can go somewhere else. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but maybe sh- maybe at the same time, he should have some love for the community that made him a success. You know, if he has that much love, but he also has a certain degree of pride in being Italian. Mm-hmm. I've known some Italians and they seem to love it. And it's uh, off-putting to me. Um <laughs> But uh, it's a joke, of course. Not really. So uh, I, when your last name is Smith, you kind of resent anybody who has any <laughs> kind of uh, uh, ethnic tie yeah. to anything. Because uh, you don't have any pride in the name Smith if you have it. It's just like, hey, that's not the Smith way. Which is to say, me, there's billions of others. Maybe millions. Hundreds of millions. Um, and uh, maybe that's their way. I don't know. I can't speak for all Smiths. But uh, anyway, so... So I see Sal's point of view more than I see Bugging Out's point of view. Why? I don't know. Mm. I th- that's the thing. Is like, it's hard to know. Mm. I could say, well, he has the better argument. He's the one paying the bills on that business. It's his business. He owns it. He can do whatever he wants with it. And, then, and it's like, well, that's true. But then why doesn't he want to do this? If he loves the community so much, why doesn't he want to do this? So that's the other argument but I don't agree with that one. And so then it gets into motives and it go, it gets into unconscious, unconscious loyalty yeah. on my part. And that is uncomfortable. Yeah. It's uncomfortable to think about. It's uncomfortable to talk about yeah. right now. Um, 
And that's part of me feels like that these are the questions you should come away with when you watch a movie about race. Because you can't walk away from this movie and not feel stirred up. Like, it's right. incendiary. But, yeah. And uh, I feel like Crash is not. Like, you can walk away and you can yeah. remember, like I said, you can remember a few of those good things, those cool points, but you're not really thinking so much about, like, it, it doesn't have you in its grip, really. Yeah. Which, um, I think that is the effect of Do the Right Thing. And it, it just goes back and forth. And especially at the end there, like, the violence just goes back and forth. Yeah. and each side is is making you angry for one reason or another. Yeah. And when it ends, it's like, this is what we're left with. This is what happened. There's no like happy ending. It isn't like people just work things out. Um, but at the same time, there is a sense that like, we're going to deal with this. Yeah. Um, I think it's even in the, uh, in the, there's voiceover by uh, a radio disc, uh, DJ guy played by Samuel L. Um, Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson, who's kind of commenting throughout the, the film i guess yeah. you could say he maybe acts as like a greek chorus greek chorus thing. a little bit yeah um but he he says something at the end about um he just starts talking about what happened like about how radio raheem died and how he, he's recounting at, in a news sort of way the if, the things that happened the night before and then he yeah. just starts talking about like today it's gonna be hot like here we go here's the next yeah. day it's the same stuff and i think it even happens too in in a little bit of uh uh, what Mookie says to Sal at the end, like Sal asks, well, well what are you going to do now? Cause Sal's place is burned down. That's where Mookie worked. Yeah. And Mookie says like, I got to work. I got to make that money, which you could just take that as like, Oh, that's a throwaway line, but I don't think it is. It's like, that's him saying like, I'm, I have to provide for myself. Like today's a new day. We got to keep moving. Like yeah. I got to make things work on a practical level for me. Like this is the world we live in, yeah. but we got to keep going and make things work. And there's and there's you know a hint of ambiguity because Sal's place is insured he's going to be fine yeah. from a financial standpoint, but is he going to build in the same place? Yeah, maybe maybe not. It appears that the neighborhood, the community that once loved him, has now rejected him. Yeah, would they stand for him rebuilding, or would like maybe they'd be furious, but also maybe they'd be like, all right, yeah, that's this guy is committed to us. It could you go know? either way. It could go really either way. And either one would make sense. Equally. Yeah. And that's and, uh, you know, the other thing is that Mookie, who right before all this stuff starts going bad, Sal sa- Sal is reflecting on how much money they made that day. And he's he's ha- he's very happy, but it's not merely happy like, hey, we made a lot of money. I'm happy. But it's just like he's feeling sentimental. You yeah, know, he he's is. talking about bringing his sons in. And then he says, Mookie, you will always have a place here. Always. Yeah. And then. Everything starts going down, and there is a there's a visual cue. The mob is on one side, on the other side Sal is and Sal and his sons and Mookie, hmm. and then Mookie walks over to the mob, and and what's interesting, and then I talked about Mookie. He grabs a trash can, throws it through Sal's window, and then everybody destroys his place. And I think. Your first instinct is to be like, Mookie, what are you doing? This this man cares for you. He's, you know, he cares for you a great deal. He, it's not his actual fault that Radio Raheem died. And, like, and in that moment, you think maybe Mookie is just, you know, has an error of judgment and is finding himself falling in with, with the mob and just looking for somebody to blame, letting his anger overtake him. 
But then there's also that's the thing. That's one possibility. And that's that's the way I felt about it the first time I watched right. the film. And that kind of that kind of ruined the ending a little bit for me because I was like, I've been on board with these characters so much. And then when, especially, I think it's a key that the filmmaker, like the writer and director, is the one who plays this character who does yeah. that. So it seems. Uh, on the, on the surface, you can take it as he's the soul of the film because he is the filmmaker. When when you cast yourself as the main character, but also the guy who basically kicks everything up a notch, yeah, like that's worth noting because at that point, it's easy for people to say like, "Is this him? Does yeah. he in a movie like this?" And when it's Spike Lee who who always has an opinion on something, like, mm. is this what he thinks is the right thing? Yeah. It's the same reason why people get mad at Quentin Tarantino casting himself as the guy who says the n word. Yeah. Like maybe this is this something he wants to do? Yeah. Like when a filmmaker casts himself, you cannot take that lightly. Yeah. And on repeat viewing, I think it, one of the things that I realized and one of the things that I think we were talking about is that uh I don't think we're meant to see Mookie as a perfect character. Like mm-hmm. he's not the way he's not the character that is just the voice of the filmmaker. Um, I think he shows a lot of ways in which Mookie's like a little bit irresponsible, um, a little bit like he's, he's not a perfect guy. Um, again, another thing I like about this that I don't think anybody in the, in the movie is a perfect character. Right. I feel like everybody's got, got flaws and I think their flaws are obvious and, yeah. and that gives them, gives them some depth. Whereas I feel like there are some characters in, in crash that seem to be pretty, Pretty perfect. Uh, the one that I always think of is Michael Pena, and I don't remember if I'm forgetting things. That no, he does, I, but upon watching it last night, I'd say yes. It, he he makes the character seem very human, but when mm-hmm. you think about it, it's like this guy does not do a single thing wrong ever. Right, and Mookie's maybe one of the most innocent ones in this in this movie. But there's a there's a scene. Um, which everyone who sees the movie will clearly remember where it takes five or six characters. They're looking straight into the camera and they just list off a string of, uh, of racial epithets yeah. about one of the other people, about one of the other races that they've been dealing with. Yeah. And Mookie leads that off. Yeah. He starts right by and talking about Italians. Exactly. And so it's showing that he has racial prejudice too. They all have racial pre- yeah. prejudice. Even the, even the, uh, Korean, he starts talking about Jews, and we yeah. haven't even seen. Any we haven't Jews even seen any Jews. He starts talking about uh, Ed Koch, I think, who Ed was Co- the, yeah, yeah. the mayor at the time. Which I I didn't catch all the Ed Koch stuff the first time I saw yeah. the movie either. But anyway, um, all that to say, Spike Lee doesn't cast himself as a perfect character. So right. there are some flaws in the character. At the same time, do you want to finish that thought? Well, it, leading to it earlier. So that's the thing is, you can either see this guy, this Mookie, as somebody who, when the chips are down feels a sense of uh, ethnic pride and goes with his community and winds up inciting violence, that's one option. The other option is it's clear something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. People can't just sit and yell at each other for minutes on end over the death of somebody. Yeah. Like, mobs tend not to disperse Mm -hmm. on their own. Something needs to happen. And I think Mookie, it's... It, and the more I think about it, the more I think this might be the case, but you never know. Yeah. Uh, I think he sees the writing on the wall, and he sees, this mom is going to kill Sal and his sons. Yeah. That, like, if not kill them, they're going to just beat the hell out of them. Yeah. And so that's when he grabs the trash can 
and he does it very deliberately and very unemotionally. And the way that it's shot, it's clear yeah. how how deliberate it is. And it's interesting. He yells "Hey" as he throws it through the uh, through the window, almost as if like it's a distraction. Yeah, look what I'm doing, everyone. Yeah, but he couldn't say that. And right. so, and then he throws it through the window, and that sort of it sounds strange. That sort of relieves the tension of the moment. Now, mm-hmm. of course, it relieves it towards violence, but. It's like, okay, well, we don't know when this violence is going to start or how. So I will control how it's going to start, and I'm going to point it at a building. Not mm-hmm. people, at a building. Because while wanton destruction is a bad thing, nobody has been killed now. Radio Rahim has been, and maybe that's, not maybe, and that's certainly enough. We don't need any more. Yeah. And so one could say that in throwing the trash can through the window that he is doing a humanitarian service for uh, Sal and his sons. Yeah, it could be. I think I was telling you that after I saw the movie, I was frustrated with that action because it's the filmmaker's action. And then this friend of mine who'd already seen it said, well, what would happen if he hadn't? Right. Which I hadn't thought about. And that that was one of the few moments where I feel like somebody told me something that stopped me in my tracks and was like, all right, I think I might need to reevaluate what I thought about this movie. And I think I... And that's the thing is... I don't think I had thought about it in those terms when I first saw it, but I also was like, it can't be this easy. Mm-hmm. It can't be that Mookie has just chosen sides. Yeah. That's not the movie I've seen. And and the movie doesn't, exactly, it never presents these these people like Sal and his sons as, some, as people who deserve this sort of thing. Right. And when the destruction's happening, it shows them and it shows their remorse. Yeah. Um, well, not, except, remorse of course. Remorse is the wrong word. Um, it shows how upset they are. Yeah. Um, and you were about and, to say about and John Turturro, as he's watching, because that's the thing. It they don't deserve it, but it certainly doesn't treat them as innocents either. Yeah, because it shows John Turturro. He's watching, and he says, "Well, I can't say <laughs> either of the words really he repeat. says, but he he says something disparaging about black people, uh, as he has throughout the whole film. Right, and something that that's as much as to say, like, there you go. Almost yeah. like Matt Dillon saying, "Of course, of like, course, here it is. Yeah. This is what they do." And. And it's possible that he is giving voice to what some people might think as they're watching this, which yeah. is like, yep. It's it's like, yep, all my prejudices are now confirmed. Yeah, and hopefully, like, <laughs> I almost hope that people watching that movie might be thinking that, and then when they hear John Turturro say it, they're like, oh, no, I'm that guy. Like, yeah. I am oh, the I most... didn't want to be that character. Exactly. Like, if you think that, suddenly, it's like, those are the thoughts and the and thoughts that follow with this character for the most openly racist character in the film right and so um and that's the thing is it's just it's a film that like it shows you these things there are (laughs) and what and when it shows those last so when it fades to black and it shows those last two quotes by martin luther king and malcolm x it scrolls Mm -hmm. and we see martin luther king's first and it's anti-violence and you're like, all right, I'm on board with that. And then you get Malcolm X. And you're like, ah, oh, now I don't know what to think, <laughs> you know. Um, and then it shows the photo of them together. And it's like, is it both? Do I have to think about both of these in the same? Like, it's just there is it takes no easy path. Oh, yeah. At any point. Um, and that's that's what's so exciting about it and so invigorating about it. And that's what that's how you deal with this type of of issue is you shouldn't walk away thinking like, all right, all my thoughts have been confirmed. You should walk out and think like, what about me? Yeah. You know, and it's just, it shouldn't be easy. 
And for those, if you haven't seen Do the Right Thing, we've just spoiled it for you. I apologize. <laughs> um, but it's not like there's, it's not the sixth sense or something. There's no. not like a twist. Yeah. Although and that, you don't, ex- you don't necessarily expect Mookie to do that thing with the trash can. And you don't necessarily expect it to take the turn that it does since it's relatively light through a lot of the yeah. rest of the film. Um, both in style and substance. But yeah, and so I feel like, and that's the thing is, we're not going to have a, a, a huge discussion about like what the Bible has to say about racism. I've got some quotes here, which I'll, uh, some verses here, which I'll quote, but it's like, it's pretty cut and dry. Like, mm-hmm. we're not going to say like, all right, now let's explore the way racism is bad. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> we don't need to explore it. Yeah. What we do need to explore, um, and I think we already sort of have, is self-examination and looking mm-hmm. at the way racism often rears its head in modern society, you know, you may find like you may find yourself just treating somebody of another race slightly different and you don't even know it. They mm-hmm. might not even know it, but it is different. Yeah. And just examining yourself and saying, OK, well, what is it that am I this? And maybe you're not. Maybe everything is exactly the same and good for you. But my guess is if you if you live in this world like you find that there are some prejudices. They shouldn't be there. And I'm saying we shouldn't accept the, accept the fact that they are there, but they might be there. And then, and then what? Yeah. You know, um, do you want, you know, if, if, if let's say you have a certain prejudice against, you know, Asians or something like that, and then an Asian comes along and does something. Do you think Matt Dillon and say, of course, or John Turturro and say the other thing that we can't say, but is basically, <laughs> yeah, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Or do you think, like, this is this person? Yeah. You know, and that's the thing is you may need to force yourself to think this is this person. Nobody else. Yeah. I can only, you know, it's the Martin Luther King quote that I don't have in front of me. I'm just thinking of it now. But, like, judging people not by the content. Uh, color of their skin. Not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Yeah. Like, that's. A pretty good idea. Yeah. It's incredibly difficult to do. But like, and that's, and one quick thing. In Do the Right Thing, it's blazing hot. Tensions are high already. In Crash, uh, there's a scene that I don't particularly like, but I'm not, I'm not opposed to the sentiment, where Sandra Bullock is talking about how angry she is all the time. And I would say that life is very difficult and... I'd say if you're able to get through a single day without feeling immense frustration at something, it could be your computer, it could be your husband or wife, or it could be, you know, a uh, car. or a car. Um, but, like, it's, if you can get through a whole day without feeling extreme frustration at something, then good for you. Tomorrow's probably not going to be the same. <laughs> uh, and this level of anger can sometimes lead us to just jump, just jump on other people, wh- even if it's not physical or even verbal in our own minds just get furious at somebody else uh for doing something that even maybe mildly inconveniences us and the thing is we'll always go to like the place of least resistance we can and if we don't know this person personally well then we can't make any judgment about their character so we have to but we but we so desperately want to make a judgment on them in that moment because we're so furious and so what's the easiest thing to do oh they're black. Yeah. They're old. They're young. They're a woman. They're mm-hmm. a man. They're, just anything just anything that's skin deep, basically. Like, we jump to that because it's easy. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and I'll quote something here. 
is John 7, verse 24. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Now, I know you might be thinking, like, judge? We're not supposed to judge. Well, <laughs> if, if there's somebody that is acting poorly and, and their behavior is reprehensible, well, then you can say that judgment is reprehensible and I, I might have to do something about that. There's, like, judging, that's another episode, but, like, so judgment in this, me- in this case means acknowledging something to be right or wrong. And this says not by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Judge by the content of somebody's character. Um, and I'll, bring, I'll mention a few others. Uh, Galatians 3, verses 28 through 29. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So obviously there, it's God does not see in these terms. like, And when you think about like Christ's sacrifice, they make clear over and over again, it's not just for the Jews. It's for the Jews and Gentiles. It's for everybody. And if God does not discriminate, then we certainly shouldn't either. Uh, and then the last one, Romans 2, verse 11. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. So I say that as if it's easy to do. It isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we just need to strive for this, for like seeing inside people and getting to know them, like you said, as people instead of as a black person or a female or whatever. Um, and the, and the first, the first step is in your, is in your thoughts Mm -hmm. is it's hard. It's always hard to do that, but to force yourself, if you find yourself thinking a certain thing about a person and you know, it's like, this is, I would never say this to this person. Yeah. Chances are you, you shouldn't be thinking it. (laughs) Right. Because that not merely because, uh, you shouldn't be thinking it, but also because, even if you don't say it, that might manifest itself in some other way. In some other way. Yeah. So, okay, uh, this has been going on uh, longer than we uh, than I anticipated, of course. <laughs> uh, but uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed the episode. Uh, I don't know when the ne- next episode is going to be, and I don't know if Josh is going to be here for it. Uh, he is uh, working on a film, and that's uh, and good for him. So we'll see what we can do. Uh, and I and so I don't know what it's going to be, so I can't tell you like what to watch in anticipation. So uh, I apologize for that. Uh, you can go to morethanonelesson.com dot com and you can read uh, blogs and you can listen to sermons and all that sort of thing. Um, there is a uh, Josh in his uh, series about uh, best picture winners. He has written about Crash, and so I will yeah. link to that in the show notes. If you want to know my thoughts about it from I don't know two years ago, yeah. Like that. Have they changed? Stay mm-hmm. tuned. Um, and so, so you can go to more than one lesson. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, that's at more lessons. You can email me, Tyler at more than one lesson.com. You can email Josh, Josh at more than one lesson.com. You can follow Josh on Twitter at the Josh long, the Josh long. And, uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Josh, thanks for being here as always. Glad to be here. And I'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>